Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. Welcome, One Broken Cog listeners. Got a great one today. I met Amon Agrawal recently, and after a brief chat, realized that you, the listeners, really would find him fascinating. Let me just give you a little insight or a little little preview, if you will. He lists himself as a former autonomous robots engineer, it's a lot more than I can say, and business development exec. He's worked on self-driving trucks, high-scale AI data labeling, humanoid robot assistance, and before that, he was a B2B sales exec and partnership manager. All right, it, it only gets better, guys, okay? He went to Duke University in China for his undergraduate to study energy policy, public health, marketing and international business. I don't think he studied sleep because I don't think there's any time. He then went on to Cornell University to get his master's of engineering in systems engineering. Oh, yes, in case you asked, and now he teaches. I mean, welcome. I think you've got a great story. I think everybody wants to hear it. So help the audience understand how you went from that very impressive start to where you are today to being a teacher. Thank you so much, John, uh, for the wonderful uh, introduction. Uh, it's uh, it's an absolute honor to be here, uh, to be honest with you. The transition was, um, yeah, so I started out working as, an, as a business guy, you know, just doing sales, uh, you know, enterprise marketing. And this was back in 2016 when I happened to be selling this education program to automakers about how to how to be a self-driving cars engineer. So I was helping automakers train their employees in that in that domain. Okay. And uh, halfway through that job, I realized like, hey, you know, this self-driving car stuff is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the future. This, this was like 2016. And I was like, why am I wasting my time selling, like peddling this stuff? when I should be doing this stuff myself, right? I'm selling this program to all these companies like Mercedes and BMW and so forth. And I should be part of the action myself. So I quit sales and uh, switched over to being an engineer again, which was my my original, you know, formation. And, uh, you know, again, worked on robots and uh, then moved to, moved to the USA, Worked in Silicon Valley on driving trucks, so that was the that was the beginning. And uh, when I was in Silicon Valley, after a while, I again did a little more sales once again as a sales engineer because you know it just it just part of my I don't know it just it just draws me you know <laughs> selling stuff. <laughs> okay. I don't know how it works. Yeah, but. Uh, I did that again, and then I realized, like, wow, there's a huge communication gap between the techies and the non-techies, you know, the the business guys and the engineers, so to speak. You talk to either side, and they think the other side is stupid. And so during this time, I was talking to one of my friends who is a fitness instructor, uh, a fitness coach, if you will. Uh, who got, who wanted to build his own app for, you know, he wanted to start his own fitness, tech fitness company, like all of his cool friends. And he got scammed by 
an engineer friend that he had, you know, brought on board to build the the application for him. Because uh, always nice. You know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what are friends for? <laughs> yeah, because he knew nothing about how apps are built and how technology works, and so he, you know, uh, pretty much gave free reign to this friend. Like, okay, this is the this is my budget. Go off and do your own thing. And the engineer uh, apparently took advantage of that, and so that you know prompted me to start to create a course, create a training program that can bridge this gap from the non-engineer's point of view. Because there's a million there's a million programs which will teach you how to code, you know, how to be a pseudo-engineer, mm-hmm. but they don't help you at all in building actual practical technical fluency as an as an executive, as a you know, as a as a professional who doesn't want to code, he wants to be a business person. And so I happen to, uh, you know, have a certain talent for teaching this stuff in a simple manner because I've been on both sides of the equation, both sides of the, you know, the sales side and the engineering side and the business side. And so I started a company and uh, that's, uh, that's my job now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so help everybody understand when, when, when you talk about that, give, give the audience an example or two of where an exec has has the problem understanding and and how it could potentially be impacting them sure so the first thing is like everyone knows that technology is important and there's a digital transformation you know buzzword out there and oh ai is coming and you need to be innovative and all these things like there's a lot of nice you know pinstripe uh, propaganda out there in the in the consulting world at least right you keep you keep reading the stuff like, oh, adopt technology, digital transformation, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every, so so if you're the average non-technical executive, you know that you want to learn about technology and you know adopt that for your business model. Like Netflix went from DVD by mail to streaming and uh, you know and so forth. The problem is, and I like to use the analogy of somebody who's a homeowner getting a new house built for themselves, right? You're a homeowner, you hire an architect to design the house and you hire a contractor to build the house for you. If you know nothing about what a house is and uh, you don't know like what kind of kitchen you want, what kind of rooms you want, you have absolutely no idea, then you're gonna go and tell these experts, hey, I want a place to sleep, I want a place to poop, I want a place to cook, and I also want a water park in my attic, right? Uh, that's the conversation you're gonna have with them. And that's you know, obviously a very unproductive conversation. On the other hand, if you know, the more you know about you know, the basics of, okay, I want a kitchen with an island, uh, I want you know, two bedrooms of you know, this, such and such qualities, I want bathrooms like these, and this is my budget. The more you understand, at, even at a high level, you don't have to be an expert in construction, you don't have to be an expert in architecture, but you can know enough to guide these experts with your high-level preferences, your high-level strategy about what you're looking for, what you're trying to accomplish, and that makes you a much better executive, so to speak, in this project, right? And so with technology, I think the same technical fluency is missing. 
across the board from what I've noticed. Um, most tech, most non-technical ex executives have absolutely zero idea of how technology works and what they should even be asking for, what questions they should be look they should be asking, what are they looking for, right? Does that make sense? So but, you're, but I think I think what you're saying, and I want to clarify this for everybody, is that mm -hmm. is that they shouldn't, as an example, um, AI. Let's just take AI because it's in the buzzwords. Yeah. Or, or you know what? Let's let's take let's take autonomous vehicles because I think mm -hmm. um, some statistics I just saw show that that's increasing faster than other technologies. So when you're talking autonomous vehicles to an executive, the executive doesn't understand the algorithm behind how the autonomous vehicle gauges whether it's following too close or too fast, how it determines mm -hmm. whether or not uh, the object that it sees is an object that it should be concerned about and should stop or should swerve around. But mm -hmm. the notion of the implications of this, so you have the ability now to transport people who don't have licenses or who don't have the ability to drive. You can transport mm -hmm. the blind as an example who really can't drive. I mean, they just, they just can't do it. People with, with physical challenges, but now you have considerations around insurance. You have considerations around how you build it. You have considerations around the technology that supports it versus the vehicles that don't support it. Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, that's part of it. So the key is like business is a game of margins, right? You find out, like, so you have to build a bridge between the business logic, so to speak, to the technical logic, right? Okay. Uh, let's say, let's say you have, you know, a, a DVD delivery business, whatever, like Netflix had back then, right? right? So you have basically your business model is, let's say, a list of 200 things that need to be done, right? And different, some of those things need to be done at, you know, different scale, uh, at huge scale, and some of them, some of them need to be done at a very low scale, right? And so each of and each of them has a certain cost associated with them, and whatnot. So the whole thing about your technical strategy is figuring out the the links in this whole chain, where you can replace human labor, or you know you can replace one process with something that a software can do. So that it's done cheaper, or it's done quicker, or it's done at uh, bigger scale, uh, whatever it is, and then that helps you improve your margin, or and offer the service in a better way, and whatnot, right? So with AI, for example, the question that I usually make people ask themselves is, if you could hire 1,000 people for free and train them to do a, any particular task within a single day, right? How would you deploy them in your business tomorrow? And it's really about, um, you know, you start, you always start from the business side. You, you, you're a student of your business. You have to start from that and then slowly figure out based on how technology is changing, because it always will keep changing. You can keep seeing, okay, uh, these things can be done by this technology right now, five years later, wow, I can do this with technology. So for example, Netflix, in the beginning, uh, they had to deliver DVDs at home because streaming was not technically feasible, like not enough people had internet, con internet connections uh, that fast and so forth. Well, we However, didn't, we didn't have internet that fast at that point. So yeah, it yeah. wasn't even that, that, the, that the, uh, the viewer didn't have it, it's that it wasn't available from the vendors. Yeah. Exactly. But, but we and knew so, it was going to get there at some point. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you you start with you start with one that the process of delivering a movie to a person's home has to be through the the medium of a DVD or a VHS tape. If because the because internet the internet as a technology is a constraint right now, uh, right? Right. right. If once that so so you can only scale you can only shorten that um, that piece of the of the business so much. Once that constraint changes, and now okay, wow, you can just download movies or you can stream them online. The business model changes, right? Because that that delivery piece is uh, is now different. You don't have to send a DVD to someone's house; you can just uh, stream online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now the business model is more about how do you gain get get the rights to for to content. To be able to stream it online from the movie studios and so forth, right? So it's always you have a business, you have a fun, the, your business has a fundamental nature of what you're trying to accomplish, and then technology is a constraint or a tool how you achieve that, right? And knowing enough about technology makes you able to see when those when that reality is changing, when that constraint goes from you know a like a strong constraint to a weak constraint or and so forth that's that's the whole game of you know transforming a business over time with the changes in technology so it, it is is it safe to say that really what you're talking about is understanding process improvement how to implement it and where to leave openings so that when things do change you can slide them in um i mean it varies from you know different businesses from one business business to another, but yeah, for the most for the most part, it's it's about you know the the key is to to be able to figure out what you need to build, right? Right. What are you trying to like? If you go to let's say a chiropractor, okay, and you tell them, hey, you know, you have a very traditional business, you know, where you're you have an phone calls and stuff. They don't have a website, whatever, and you tell them. Hey, you need to be, you know, digitally transforming your business, right? And so, what are you going to make them do? What are you going to advise them? So you're going to tell them like, okay, uh, here the key value of your business, you know, is that a client comes to you and you help them get better and whatnot. Now, your now part of your business is where do you get your where do you pro, how do you prospect? How do you market your? How do you promote yourself? Correct. How do you where where do you, the whole process of onboarding a new client and uh, you know staying in touch with them, getting referrals, whatnot. There's like again 100 things that need to be done as part of your business model, right? And then you see which ones can be done how, right? Can you right. use maybe an AI program to make automated phone calls to 1,000 people a day, for example, that a human assistant cannot? Or do you use a soft a software system to, you know? Uh, filter your leads, whatever, whatever, it's, whatever is possible, right? Yeah, there, there was an interesting, uh, in fact, there have been a number of articles in the last few years that were talking about this whole notion of digital transformation um, and, and how many people have been misunderstanding what digital transformation really means and how many people were just saying, oh, we, we need to go through a digital transformation project, so let's just open a website. And that mm-hmm. doesn't solve the problem even at all. And, and to your point exactly, the issue was that the executives didn't really understand the notion behind digital transformation. They didn't have to understand all of the technologies that would support it, but they didn't even understand 
what the promise and, and what the constraints of digital transformation are. I'm not going to say were, mm-hmm. what they are. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, we, we, as our business, as you know, One Broken Cog, our business is going in and helping organizations identify those things that are preventing them from being efficient and being effective relative to their revenue generation. So yeah. it sounds like, sounds like the, the, what you can do then is, is after they have understood where they need to make changes, you can help them understand the technical implications and the technical constraints of making those changes, which is kind of an interesting value proposition. Yeah, and the idea is that it should become second nature to you to think technically. Uh, it should be part of your thinking framework, your thinking toolkit, if you will. Right. Um, because, like, for me, for me now at this point, it's second nature to see. Oh, we need to get this done, and again, technology is one of those tools in my mind. Like, okay, yeah, that's probably like we just need a backend and we need a database to, you know, where we central, where, like a central database where all my all of these people uh, input their you know information and uh, and so on and so forth just an example but you know this really it it, it also really goes down to you know confidence and you know you you've been a salesperson for you know so long you so I, i'm sure you know like the value of self esteem and the ability to have create empathy with a technical decision maker on the other side, right? And, and there, there might be a lot of software salespeople who are listening to, listening to this. Um, what usually happens is you have a sales engineer with you and you're the, you know, so you're supposed to go in and try to talk to the, you know, tech, the, the buyer, the, the, like the non-technical buyer, so to speak, like trying to make the business case. And you have a sales engineer who's trying to make the technical case and you're both again not on the same page. You don't understand what the other is saying, and that's a really sad situation uh, that you know modern technical sales uh, you know is going through right now. I think because the salesperson should be able to do even a lot of the technical selling itself, right? You know, the salesperson should be an expert in the domain enough that they can build tech like you don't need to be a, a, a fascinatingly you know a skilled engineer to be able to talk to a high level technical buyer and say like okay i know exactly what kind of solution you want at a high level because these are your business problems and these are how you this is how you translate them to your technical needs if you have uh, detailed some, some detailed questions I have a sales engineer who can help you, but I get it. I get what you're trying to accomplish. I actually, I actually find it's an interesting point you're raising. I actually find that in too many cases, now granted it could be changing and it really does depend on the individual. A lot of what I would call sales engineers or pre-sales mm-hmm. engineers with technical products, they understand their product very well. They understand what the product can and can't do, but what they don't really understand and they don't understand how important it is to understand is the implications to the business and the impacts that the business will have on the utilization of the technology. So I actually see a bit of a reverse. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with, with, with your perspective on the need to educate decision makers on technology, but I also see a huge need to educate technical people 
on on the realities of business. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. what what is it about your background? What happened to you that that made you say, "Wow, you know, not being." a technical person to the extent that you were in your, I mean, your, your training is impeccable. There's an absolutely no question about it. All right. You, you did a great job in, in getting your skill set built up, but now you've made a shift and you've said, you know, education, because it's edu- education isn't just go teach somebody something. It's about being excited about the yep. ability to, for people to learn, being, being excited about your ability to open up new doors or new windows to somebody's perspective. So what happened that, that made that shift occur in you? Yeah, I think, so I think I'm, like, I've always been a student of the the process of learning, uh, if that makes sense. Yes. I've always been very passionate, very passion- like, being a rocket scientist in the field of how do I learn different things and what is the best way to learn a pretty- different kinds of skills. Like, so, for example, whether it's a foreign language or, you know, learning how to program or learning how to build uh, build you know, these technical products or how to sell, like learning how to sell, mm-hmm. learning how to, learning how business works, uh, filmmaking. And so, so a big thing is like, I'm always thinking about how to teach something better. Uh, and I've been writing and teaching as a hobby for like almost four years long before I knew that I wanted to actually teach people professionally. Okay. Um, and I think the, the, main, the main goal that I see with teaching, the main end, uh, so to speak, is it's about meeting someone where they are. So let's say you are at a certain level and you have a certain background and teaching is about you know, introducing new concepts so that they are somewhat linked to what you already know, right? And then you, you introduce a new concept in the, in the context of what you know already, so that the new concept becomes part of you, you just uh, internalize it and it becomes part of your, you know, part of who you are. And then you introduce a new concept. Again, it's, it's always supposed to be linked to something you already know, because it's- if I introduce a concept that you, like that you that you cannot relate to, it's going to be like picking up a textbook and then forgetting it five days later. That's where you have to start memorizing stuff. So it's all about reducing memorization as much and focusing on the context uh, instead. So you're almost saying you're you're get you're helping people think, not just learn, but to think. Absolutely, absolutely. Interesting. That's the whole game. That that is the only way you can have lasting lasting breakthrough and lasting uh, new skill development. Yeah, it, I, I do believe, and I'm not an educator, but I do believe that, that there's a huge difference between Western philosophy and Eastern philosophy when it comes to education. One, set, one, at least in America for the longest time, and I'm not sure we still do it, we focus on memorization, whereas mm-hmm. other, other um, philosophies of education will focus on re- reasoning or learning or understanding inference and understanding nuance and things of that nature. So it sounds like you're moving more in that direction than just this, this rote memorization. Yeah, because, you know, and personally, like I was failed by my own, like uh, my own education system, right? Whether it's uh, in, like, in Asia or in the U.S. Uh, U.S., I think it's 
slightly better, at least at the, at the higher, you know, the in higher uh, graduate yeah. programs, it's kind of better. But yeah, I think, um, and there's also like, so I derive a lot of these, you know, concepts from other fields, not from education, for like filmmaking. I, I think filmmakers have a lot to teach teachers because they know how you introduce a story and make like hold the audience in the palm of their hand and, you know, hurdle them through a one and a half hour uh, narrative Right. Constantly feeding new information in a way that the person can like just, uh, you know, it becomes second nature to the person to assume, you know, uh, to grow with the, as the movie is progressing and make assumptions and then, you know, see the world with that information uh, as part of their worldview. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, yes, so, it does. You know, so I studied, you know, how they make, how they, like screenwriting, I studied how they structure a story how they introduce characters how they introduce a new event how do you build empathy from uh, the audience like how do you make the the viewer care about whatever you're about to tell them right and all of it you know there's a lot of tactics that they use in when they're making great films uh, that i use every single day as part of my process when i'm creating a new a new lecture or creating a new uh, chapter from my book, for example. Okay. Um, and same goes for, I think, language learning. Uh, I borrow a lot of concepts from there because the way you learn a language, you know, it's been proven through a lot of studies that it's about, it's really not about learning a language. You, you, you just get used to a language by consuming more and more content, more and more input in context. Um, so right. you, you, you see, you, you first pick up a few words, uh, which, which, you, which you see repeatedly in a certain context. So you become used to thinking of those words in that context and using those. And then your context expands as you learn more and more words. So you actually never, you never learn any word. You never memorize words and become fluent in using them. You just get, get used to them by reading those words again and again and again. Okay, that makes sense. So makes exposure, sense. exposure, like being able to understand a technical article about, you know, how engineers are talking about a certain topic with each other, being able to partake in those conversations is a huge part of the uh, learning experience. So it's, it's interesting. So what has been the reception by executives when you go talk to them about this? First of all, do they get it? Do they understand? Do they think it's necessary? Do they just brush you off and say, I don't need to do this. I have technical people. Yeah. So, um, so it, it is definitely a new, a very novel, uh, you know, service that I provide, you know, and I checked that I, it did not really exist um, in this, in this fashion anywhere else. So there is definitely there's a there's a piece of you know educating the, the 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 my clientele about what I do, and you know like it's it kind of goes back to the challenger sale where you have to you know kind of teach the customer right as well you have to educate them and add value to them so that they trust you as your as a credible source before they even buy from you right so there's definitely that aspect to it but I think in general every time someone gets it like yeah like and it's usually like this is exactly what i need or 
Yeah, I mean it's the the uh, it's slow, of course. Uh, you have to you know go after the early adopters because a lot of people uh, don't think that they need to invest the time into learning the stuff at the moment. But it's all about do I need this and do I need this now, right? Right. Um, and so educating you, you you can't control like you can create a certain amount of urgency, but it's better to just look for people who already have that urgency, you know, the early adopters who are, who really care and who really have been looking for this. Now that, that, that makes, that makes an awful lot of sense. So how do you approach this? Do you approach this as a single conversation? Do you approach this as a program by which you try to understand the, the potential needs of the executive? Do you approach it from the perspective of um, how do you update people when new technologies come out? Help us understand that. Yeah, so um, there's a core, you know, training program that I've created. Although the, the program is personalized to each executive, um, usually it starts is we have a one-on-one -on -one call in the beginning uh, where I ask them questions and try to understand what their goals are and where they currently are. And if I think I can be a good teacher, the, the right teacher for them, then uh, we shake, virtually shake hands and, you know, they join the program. And then I figure out how I can tweak the, the program so that it helps them meet their goals fastest. And it's always about them reading the lesson, the lessons and also having one-on-one -on -one sessions with me on a weekly basis where, they, where we actually go into practice, where they use the technical knowledge to make decisions because that's the key. The goal is to get them used to making decisions about technology and technical strategy based on their business uh, business acumen, right? And so drilling that um, by through role play or through exercise, practical exercises, it's about drilling that repetition of, again, making those decisions again and again and again and using that vocabulary. Um, okay, interesting. One of the big questions everybody has on their mind and, and they have had most of, most of this year, most of 2020 is, when they're looking to to spend some time and energy focus on something because nobody has any focus right now everybody's being driven so crazy with with this mm -hmm. How, is is there an implication to what you're offering to the market to help them competitively in the time of covid or is there really no correlation well i mean i think that a lot of uh, companies uh, a lot of traditional businesses at this point have slowly have quickly realized that uh, they may lose their competitive advantage you know in the next couple of years because a lot of digital transformation is suddenly happening now a lot of companies are suddenly have to they're forced to go digital and so there's definitely a lot of a lot more people who feel like they are being left behind and they need to bring themselves up to speed uh, to be able to to be able to thrive, continue to thrive in the future, and as you already know, like you probably know that the, there's always <laughs> there's always a few people who are insecure enough that you know they have this sixth sense, they have this spidey sense going on, like whoa, I my, the thing the reality is changing, and I need to change myself to be able to thrive in the next 
in the future, right? And there's always going to be people, the majority of them who are going to be like, uh, oh, it seems like reality is changing. I hope I'll be fine, right? Um, and the former... There's a book about that former, years ago called Hope is Not a Strategy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's also like uh, Who Moved My Cheese, right? I well, Who Moved My one. Cheese. Oh, yeah. That's, that's an interesting one, too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's... it's it, it's just about you know the 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 ones that I target, the ones that I who are part of my clientele are the former ones who understand how things are changing about them. They are hyper realistic. They see the gap in their own skills and their own knowledge, and uh, they're looking for a path to you know upskill themselves or upgrade themselves into for to prepare for this new future. So now you're raising an interesting point. So, and I just want to clarify this for everybody. So, so the folks that that are receptive, they don't see that their lack of understanding is a negative and something to hide. They see their lack of understanding as something that they have to address in order to succeed. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they want to be able to manage, you know, engineers. They want to be able to have intelligent conversations. Um, they, they've been in painful discussions where you're sitting in a technical, in a meeting with engineers and you have no idea what's going on. And, uh, you know, you step out and you're like, uh, you know, let's just forget this meeting ever happened because I don't want to sound stupid asking them like basic questions. Right. So that's, that's also part of the reason why they come to me. Uh, but usually it's more about, you know, I'm thinking entrepreneurially and I want to you know, I want to help create the future. I want to be a front runner and a trailblazer. And so how can I bridge the, the, the gap in my skills so I can do that effectively? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because the, the world as we know it is just, it just keeps changing faster and faster. And yeah, I don't know how any business is, is going to sit there and say, I don't need to change. Well, I guess they don't need to change if they're going to go out of business, but. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the 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 disruptors in the industry are hitting virtually every industry, every segment out there, and you know, actually, my understanding of speaking to some of the disruptors is that what they want most is to find somebody who is just stagnant because that gives them the disruption ability. So they love mm-hmm. to see that. I mean, we we've seen it in the eyeglass industry years ago when Warby Parker walked in and said. This industry has to be turned upside down. We've seen it in the funeral business where people order caskets online now. We've seen it mm, in Uber. Wow. We've, yeah, it's, it's people reimagine how business needs to work. Mm-hmm. And that's what's giving them the, uh, the competitive advantage and the ability to disrupt their industry. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, look, at, you look at Tesla. Tesla is nothing yep. more than a complete disruptor. Hmm. They're still making cars but they figured out yep. a different way to do it and a different way to manufacture. So yeah, it's, it, it is really fascinating where you're going with this. And I, I think there's a huge need for it. I, I'm really curious to see how this takes off for you. But thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I, um, I hope you do well. I think we're going to schedule you back in a little while to, to check up on you to see what you're learning. And also <laughs> the other thing I think would be interesting is how, you are treated so in other words what kind of reception you get because listeners don't understand Aman right now is is in new delhi he's in india um for lots of different reasons but 
think about it, he's now speaking with, living with, and working with a different mindset than for us here in the United States. And it is going to be very interesting to see if he has more traction or less traction there, if more or less of his business is coming from the United States or Europe or Asia, because the mindsets are very different. So that's something we're going to be looking for an update from you in a, in a few months, Amon. Uh, very curious how that works out. Thank you so much. I'm curious too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Take yeah. care. Be good. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. It was great spending time with you today. Maybe you liked what you heard. Maybe we sparked some controversy. Maybe we got you excited, but hopefully we got you thinking. Hey, we want to hear from you. If the topic resonated with you, if you have a comment, or if you have an issue you're serious about fixing, reach out to us today. Hey, Brian, how can they get in touch with us? Great question, John. Best ways email. Email us at results at onebrokencog.com together. We're going to help you make small adjustments that's going to lead to major impacts in your business and your revenue.